If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. As you are turning there, I want to greet our newest member, Aria Bailey, is with us this morning. And so we are super excited and praying for her dad, who is now greatly outnumbered. We come to Romans 12, and we are enjoying, I hope, this letter that Paul has given us. In chapters 1 through 11, he looks at salvation, and he is helping us to understand our need for it. He is helping us to understand the depths of it. He is under, helping us to understand how Christ has accomplished our salvation and how God's plan is working out throughout history. And then we get to chapter 12, and as we looked at last week, we begin to see now how are we to live? How do we live in light of this salvation that we have been given, in the light of this salvation that has made us new? And so we continue on with those ideas this morning, starting in chapter 12, verse 14. And we're going to read through all of 13. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. A little bit of a long passage, so if in the middle of that, that you need to take a break, that is perfectly fine. But let us join together now. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe nothing, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the, law, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, 
and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its grace. We thank you for its encouragement. And Lord, we thank you when it challenges us, especially when it challenges us to be different from this world, to act contrary in many cases to our own nature, because we see in that your work. We see in it your Holy Spirit doing things in us that we could not do on our own. And it reminds us of whose we are. Father, I pray this morning that we would desire, we would desire the things that you have commanded us to. Lord, that we would act like the name that we claim. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As has been our norm uh, in Romans, we start with a quick review of where we have been. We do this not just so that we may understand better the passage that is at hand, but we do this review in hopes and in the prayer that when we are done with Romans, that you will always remember these phrases. That when you think of this letter that God has given us, you will remember that we are justly convicted and rightly sentenced, that we are justified in faith, that we rejoice in our new position, and that God is working out his plan in salvation. And so as we do these reviews and we look at those four things quickly, my hope is, again, in the repetition that we have every week as we review this, this wonderful letter that God has given us, that these things would be embedded in us in such a way that they would impact our words and our actions. So I've already given you the review, but we're going to go through this really quick. We are, Paul says in chapters 1 through 11, he focuses on that we are justly convicted and rightly sentenced, that every single one of us has sin in our lives, that we have committed treason against God, that we are liars, that we have disobeyed our parents, that we have stolen something, that we have cheated, that we have lusted, that we have been adulterers. Those things may not apply to all of us, but all of us can say one of those things we have done, and therefore we are justly convicted and guilty before a holy God. And because of that, we are also deserving of sentencing just as the criminal is deserving of sentencing in human law, so too the one who breaks God's law is deserving of eternal sentencing. And that sentence is death, separation from God forever in a place called hell. It's a heavy thing that Paul starts with on why we need salvation because none of us can undo those things. None of us can garner his grace or his favor on our own, but rather we find justification in faith by, through Jesus Christ. 
So we go, justification means we go from being guilty to being innocent, not based on our own deeds, not based on our own religiosity, but rather we go from guilty to innocent because of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has already done through the cross and through his resurrection. And so then we rejoice in our new position. If we place our faith and trust in him, if we have held on to him as our Lord and Savior and follow him, then we can rejoice in this life about our new position that now we are no longer enemies with God, but now we are at peace with God. That we have this incredible new relationship with him that's not built upon guilt, but now is built upon being adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. That we can rejoice in not only this life, but we rejoice about the promises to come. That we look at death not as something to be avoided at a cost, but rather we look at death as a doorway into the glory of God. Those are exciting things. And we not only see that we rejoice in our position, but Paul ends that passage, that that section in 9 through 11 by looking at how God started this plan and how he is continuing to work out the plan of salvation, calling individuals to himself as he completes this plan of salvation towards all of eternity. And so it's because of, on the basis of this salvation that we are in such great need of, that Christ has purchased through his own blood, that we now rejoice in as believers, for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in him, that we now come to chapter 12. And last week we looked at how chapter 12, Paul gives us three commands. He gives us three commands that set the tone for the rest of the book. He says there in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see three, three commands here. First, we see, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, a blood sacrifice was a necessary part of worship for the covering of sins, and at times for the marking of covenants, and at other times for even thanksgiving. However, because of what Jesus Christ does on the cross and his blood sacrifice once and for all, sacrifice is, blood sacrifice is no longer a needed thing in worship. Instead, Paul makes the point that we are to offer our lives as living sacrifices to come before our King, our Lord, our Savior, and say, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? I am not my own. I am His forever and ever. And so we have the we are living sacrifices and that's going to we're going to talk about that through the rest of these chapters that living sacrifices do certain things but he gives two more commands first he says be not conformed do not be conformed and we talked about this last week that when we are conformed to this world we kind of change our outward appearance and our outward actions So that we may fit in. So that we may have the same passions, the same goals, the same desires that the world has. So we look like them, we act like them, we talk like them. Paul says, don't do that. He says, rather be transformed. 
And again, conformed is like a chameleon changing its colors on the outside so that it may fit around in its environment. But to be transformed is to be changed fundamentally. And that only happens by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us and changing us to look more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so he begins to make this transformation happen. And we talked last week about how that happens, that we are transformed so that we produce results, so that we bear fruits, as it talks about in Galatians that we read earlier with the kids, and then in Romans, in the, in the first few chat verses of that, that living sacrifices are transformed. And he talks as well, we looked at last week, that he talks about living sacrifices serve. And those first few verses of Romans 12, when he talks about service, he is largely talking about how we come into the how we come into this body, not the building, but how we come into this body. That when we walk through those doors and join together, that our focus is on him and how we might serve one another. That he has put you here with your gifts and your talents that you might encourage the body. And we need you. We need you to do that. We do not work effectively as the body of Christ, as a church, if all of the members are not engaged in the mission and in supporting one another. We just can't, we can't do it effectively. We will limp along, we will make do, but we will not be what God has called us to be until every member is there participating Focusing on the head, Jesus Christ, and encouraging one another. Paul then, and now, that we, and now we come to verse 14, Paul then turns his attention not, not only to how we are to act towards one another inside of the church, but now he turns his attention to how we are to act outside of the church. How are we to act in the society that God has placed us in? And so we come to these, these passages, these verses that we have this morning. And so one of the things that he talks about with living sacrifices is that living sacrifices look different. They look different. Go back to verse 14 with me. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's pretty obvious that as we read that passage, that those of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ, that would call ourselves Christians and believers, who claim that he is our Lord and Savior, that we are to look different we're not to look like the world looks. When you read through this passage, it is not hard to begin to pick out things that say, you know what, as I watch the news, as I live my life, as I, as I go to work, as I go to school, as I do these different things, these things do not, the things that Paul is describing here, do not look how the world acts. 
And so let's just look at a few of them. We're not going to look at everything, but let's just look at a few of them. One of them that stands out and is kind of repeated is that we are to look different towards our enemies. We're to look different towards our enemies. This is a hard one. In fact, most of these things are hard. They are not natural to us. If I have an enemy, then my first response, my first thought is not kindness. It's not blessing. It's not to be to want the best for them. It's not to ask God to pour grace into their lives. That's not a natural response and certainly not what we see in the world. And yet, that's what he calls us to. Can we do this? Well, the answer is, yeah, we can. Will we do this? Will we do this? What does this look like in your life? When you have that person at work that constantly undermines you, drives you absolutely crazy, that it feels like you're working against them rather than working with them. How will you show blessing to that person? How will you pray for that person? How will you hope the best for that person? How will you celebrate with them when God chooses to pour out his grace on them? How will you practically Give them food when they are hungry or give them a drink when they are thirsty. It's easy for us to read these words, right? It's easy for us to read the kindness that we are to show to an enemy. But when we begin to think about how is that practically going to apply to our life, then that's where it's like, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I want to be nice to my enemy. And we realize our great dependence on the Holy Spirit. We realize our great dependence upon God to transform us so that we don't become conformed to the world. To look more like Christ as he engages with different people, as he engages with his enemies, as he tries to speak truth into their life. We're to look differently in how we engage those people. We're also to look different in our humility. It says here in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We are to look differently in our humility. To not think of ourselves as the most important thing. We live in a world that says, you pursue you. You hold nothing back from you. You only worry about you. And yet what we see in this passage, in these few verses, is that God's economy, God's cultural system is completely reverse of that. That rather than it being all about us, it's all about others. When we think about weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, on the surface, that seems like an easy command. But let me ask you, how easy is it to weep with someone when you're in the middle of life's rejoicing? 
When you're on the mountaintop and God has overflowed you with blessings and everything is wonderful in your life, how easy is it to look at one who is weeping and grieving and hurt and to come alongside them and to put your own joy aside for a moment so that you may minister to them? It's not always easy. How easy is it when you're in the middle of grief and sorrow and tribulation and trial, when you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel to see others who life seems to be going perfect and to rejoice with them in the midst of your suffering, to look at them and say, I am genuinely excited about what God's doing in your life and I hope that it continues. It's not always easy. There are times that jealousy creeps in, bitterness creeps in. And this isn't new. You look at the Psalms. <laughs> you look at the Psalms and there are times that David writes like, okay, I'm serving you and things are going bad. Others are not serving you and things are going good. I, I, uh, and he struggles with that, right? He struggles with it. We do too. And it's not wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong to grieve. I'm not saying it's wrong to rejoice. But do we take those things in our lives and then do we look to others and say, how can I walk alongside you? Because that looks different than the world does. That looks way different than the world does. How do we associate with the lowly? How do we accomplish that in our life? How do we come to those that society has put on the back burner? How do we go to those that, that annoy everybody else, that have what I call unique personalities? Okay? If you don't know anybody with a unique personality, there's an old saying about looking in the mirror. Okay? How do we, how do we associate with those folks? How do, we, how do we become their friend? How do we have those relationships? It's only through the Holy Spirit. It's only through him. And we see this all the time with Christ, right? We see him associating with the lowly. We see the woman at the well. We see Zacchaeus, the tax collector. We see it with the woman caught in adultery. We see it with Matthew, who was also a tax collector, who's on the inner circle. We see it with all these people that are on the outskirts of society. And Jesus, God in the flesh, who has lived a perfect life, that's who he associates with. That's who he shows grace to. Even to the point where others look at his life and they're like, why do you hang out with drunkards and tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing? He's like, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about these people. I'm not worried about what others say about me. My reputation is not what's important. My character is. And I think there's something, a little side note to go off here, just for a moment, that deals with enemies and it deals with associating with those who are lowly and other things. One of the things we should notice when Jesus Christ associates with anyone, anyone, is that he shows them kindness and grace and love but he also makes sure that they know that there is a change needed. That there's repentance that's needed. 
He does not approve. When he meets the woman at the well and he, he talks with her and he has this great relationship and this instant connection with her, he does not approve of her current living situation with a man that she's not married to. He just points it out. Not in a, not in a harsh way. He just says, hey, that's not the way it should be. And she is amazed by that. He doesn't lower the bar for anyone. He doesn't lower the bar of holiness for anyone. But he does develop relationships with them. He does talk to them like they're real people. It's hard sometimes as we live in this life. But let us remember that each individual is created in his image and has value to him. That he died for them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Finally, we look different in our actions towards others. Going back to what he says about enemies, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We look different on our actions and how we serve people, even people that are different from us, even people who would describe themselves as our enemies. We look different in how we act towards them and the things that we do for them and the ways that we serve with genuine compassion and concern. That looks differently. The world doesn't know what to do with that. They know what to do with strife. They know what to do with hostility. They respond in kind. That's not a hard thing to figure out. But when you respond in compassion and concern, that is much harder for them to wrap their brains around because that doesn't look familiar to them. How do we act? How do we act with people? I was talking this morning too, there are some that would look at this passage about not seeking revenge and hear the words of Christ to turn the other cheek and they would say, well, what about the verse where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, a couple of things on that really quickly, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this soapbox, but two things really quickly. One, that's talking about justice. That's not talking about revenge, okay? It's talking about justice. It's not talking about revenge. Number two, the law of the land that in that time period when those commandments were written was not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was you blind me in one eye, I blind you in both. You steal an apple, I chop your hand off. Okay? You owe me a debt, I put you in prison until your family repays it. Okay? It wasn't equality in justice. It was inequality in justice. So when God says things like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, he is talking about fairness and justice and how we respond to one another being fair and gracious. He's not talking about vengeance. When it comes to vengeance, he says, you let me worry about it. You let me take care of those things. 
you show kindness. Where at all possible, you live peaceably with people. You act different. He goes on here in chapter 13. And if we're talking about how living sacrifices are to live in the society that we've been given, he says that we first, that we are to look different in the way that we act towards people, in the way that we talk to people, in the way that we act towards people. But he also says that living sacrifices look different because they are good citizens. Chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We are to be good citizens. We are to act in such a way that any reasonable government would desire for us to be a part of their nation, for others to look at us and say, wow, that person cares about those that live in community with him because of the way they respond to the government. We are to do so by being in submission. That is sometimes a dirty word in our culture. To submit, to be in submission towards an authority. There are times that we curl up and bow, bow our necks against that very thought. And yet here, God makes it very evident that the authority of government has been placed over us for our good. And so we have a responsibility to submit to that government, to obey that government, where at all possible... Now, a couple of things here. One, remember what government he is writing about. He is writing about the Roman government. So lest you think that he is writing about a situation where everything is a, a utopia, where everything is perfect, remember that when Paul says submit to the government because they have been placed there for your good, that they are ministers of God. Remember that he's talking about a government that actually actively persecuted Believers, a government that was at times hostile towards the church. He's not talking about a government here. He's not referring to a, a system here where everything was peachy. So when he says submit, there's some depth to this. When he says submit to the authority because it's God has placed there, then there's some thinking we must do. It's not just submit when they're doing what you agree with. It's submit even when you disagree. Now, there is what I told the youth this morning. There is the 5%. There's the 5% of the time when a government, when a human government will tell us to do things that are clearly against Scripture. There are that 5% of the time when, the, when a government, a human government will say, you cannot do this when God clearly says do this. You cannot gather together. You cannot share the gospel. You cannot read scripture or own it. And we would say, that's black and white. We have to obey God, not you. We are not unaware, nor we are, are we ignorant of those in a, brothers and sisters that live in places where the government actively tells them to disobey God. And we support them and pray for them as they respectfully say no. We will follow him at the risk of our own lives. 
But by and large, by and large, that is not what happens. By and large, what the government gives us are things that though we may disagree with them, they are not things contrary to his word. And so we submit. Not only that, we are good citizens because of our deeds. He says there, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to, the, to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. This lines up with what we see in other places in Scripture. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2 echoes this sentiment when he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So over and over again, we are told to be good citizens by doing good deeds. Not that those good deeds earn us something, but rather those good deeds put on display the glory of God. They put on the display the glory of God in our lives. He has made you different. He has called you to act differently. He has called you to love your enemies. He has called you to generosity. He has called you to peace, to harmony. He has called you to serve one another. He has called you to use your gifts and talents for the encouragement of others. Why? So that others may see those things and marvel at him. They may marvel at him. They may think about what a good God he is. So we, we are good citizens by our actions, by our deeds that gain the praise of others, not for ourselves, but the, for the praise of God. And then this last one, I had a hard time coming up with the word, and this, this one doesn't fit perfectly, but this is kind of where I landed. We are good citizens in our commitments. I would add there our responsibilities. We are good citizens in our commitments and our responsibilities. Verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The first part is not fun. When he says pay everyone what is owed and he talks about taxes. That's not something we enjoy talking about nor is it something we like. Jesus, by the way, strengthens this argument when they come to him and they say, should we pay taxes? And he says, bring me a coin. And he asks, whose face is on it? And they respond rightly that it is Caesar's. And his response to that is, well, then pay Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, yeah, pay your taxes. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the things that they offer, I take Rosemary as a dependent, and I'm very thankful for that, okay? We take advantage of what is legal and lawful, 
We don't want to pay more than what we're asked to pay for certain, okay? But we also don't do things that would, if on close inspection, make us out to be liars and cheats. We pay our taxes. Though we may not always agree with them or the amount, we pay because we are called to submit. Not only that, but we are called to our responsibilities. As, as hard as maybe that is sometimes to think about paying our taxes and our revenues as owed, this second part may be harder. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. There are offices in our land Positions in our country that are due honor and respect regardless of who sits in the seat and who holds the office. We may disagree with them. We may not like them. But because of the office that they have been put in, and I say that phrase specifically. They have been placed there. Just as the king was placed in his position, as the emperor was placed in his position, don't think that democracy changes that. God has placed the individual in the office for the time. Though I may not understand the why or the, or the when or the how or the reason. The office is deserving of respect and honor even when we don't deserve even when that person may not be necessarily deserving or even someone we agree with. Let me bring this a little closer to home. If we say that the office is worthy of honor and respect, regardless of the person who is in it, then when we talk about that individual, when we make jokes at their expense, when we deride them or degrade them, what does that say to the world around us? Do we really look different in that moment? Or do we look like everybody else? Again, I'm not saying we have to agree. I'm not saying that we have to embrace I'm not saying we shouldn't vote differently <laughs> when we have the opportunity. But the words that come out of our mouths matter. What do they communicate? When we show anger, what do they communicate when we don't show respect to the office, even in moments of disagreement? They do not communicate that we are different. They communicate quite the opposite. And we see it. We see this. When the world around us looks at the media and they hear people that claim to be believers who claim to stand on the truth of the word of God and then they hear the words that come from their mouth and that's what they associate Christianity with. Do they want that? No. There are times in the last few years, it's been kind of heartbreaking. There are times that, that I will be out doing something and people will get to know me and they will, they will walk alongside me and then they will ask me the question, what do you do for a living? 
Like, by the way, that question has completely changed my life in the last seven years. Like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor of a Southern Baptist church. The reactions I get are at times heartbreaking and at times hilarious. They range from pure shock to, well, you're not that bad. Well, thanks. But why do they say that? Because of what they have seen and what they have heard. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would be different. That we would not be like the world. That we would be careful with the things that come out of our mouth. That we would be good citizens towards those that God has put in authority over us and towards our fellow citizens. Living sacrifices look different. Living sacrifices are good citizens. And living sacrifices love their neighbors. They love their neighbors. Loving your neighbor is foundational to obeying God. He says in verse Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Love does no wrong. We look different in how we treat one another. This is something that I learned when I was yay high in Sunday school, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Even non-Christians have heard that phrase, that Christ decrees in Matthew and Mark, love others as yourself. And yet this week, this may have been the most convicting thing that I dealt with as I thought about how do I really, how does that really happen practically? Because I really like me. I really like me. Like I know, I know what our grocery budget is, okay? And yet, if we are ever so close to that grocery budget, I'm trying not to look at Melissa right now, and I see a Mountain Dew and I desire that and I want that, guess what? I do not withhold that from myself. I like me. I'm going to have the extra cookie because I like me. I'm going to order that because I like me. I'm going to spend my money on entertainment that I enjoy because what? I like me. And guess what? You do too. You like you. By and large, we like ourselves a lot. Do you like others that way? That's harder now, isn't it? When we put it on that level, now it's like, not, not that just I desire for them to have good in their lives, but do I like them enough that I want them to have not only what they need, but what they want. That I want them to succeed in the way that I have succeeded. That I want them to enjoy life that I'm willing to sacrifice that they may be blessed? Do I love others the way that I really love myself? 
That is much more convicting than what I learned in Sunday school. Do I love others as I love myself? I promise you that if we do that, then the next one's a lot easier. Do no wrong. Not that we won't make mistakes. I love myself and I still treat myself badly at times, okay? I shouldn't have that extra cookie. I shouldn't drink that Mountain Dew. We're going to make mistakes. But oh, by and large, if we will learn to love others the way that we love ourselves, to learn to love them well, then people will see us as different. Last thing, living sacrifices are waiting for the king. Living sacrifices are waiting for the king. He says there in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The, time, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." We await the king's return. If we are living sacrifices who have devoted our lives to him, then we should be looking for him and anxiously awaiting his arrival. I love, I love coming home. Not that greeting Melissa wasn't fun before, but I love coming home and opening that door and hearing those words daddy's home and she this little blonde haired blue eyed little crazy little girl comes and she runs into my arms and I pick her up and we throw her in the air and she giggles that infectious laugh that doesn't matter what kind of day you've had and it's just like this is good and she has waited for this moment she can't tell wait to tell me about the crazy things that her and her friends did all day long and to tell me things that frankly I don't even understand half the time Oh, do we wait for him that way, that we are living sacrifices, waiting for the day that he appears, that we can run towards him and say, my king has come, the life is good, all is well with the world. Living sacrifices are waiting for him, and that day draws closer every morning, every moment. We are to live in light, sorry, we are to live in light of that salvation. To live in light of his coming and what he has done in our lives. To act differently because of who he is and, and what, he, what he has done in our lives and who he's making us to be. All of these other things that we have described this morning and last week about how living sacrifices are to act and what they're to do and how they're to approach people. All of these things are in light of the salvation we have been given and so let us not waste any time. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, starting, starting in verse 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. 
And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will become the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in a field, and one will be taken and one left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had not known what part of the night the thief was coming, or would have known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who is his master has set, who his master has set over the household to give them their food at proper time? Blessed is the servant who comes, who his master will find doing so when he comes. Let me read that again. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so. When he comes. Brother and sister, if we believe that Jesus Christ is returning and that his return is soon, what will he find you doing? What will he find you doing? Will you be living a life that is different from this world so that others may see his glory? Or will you look just like everybody else? What will he find you doing? This morning, I'm going to have the praise team come up and we're going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and you hear these words and you're like me this week. That you, had, you need to spend some time in repentance of maybe how you've acted towards an enemy or associating with the lowly or repentance that has to do with the government or repentance that has to do with loving others as ourselves. Maybe this morning that's where you're at this morning. Then I would invite you, do that this morning. Don't wait to go home to do that. Come to the altar. Pray at your seat. But don't ignore him in this. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You hear about, hey, we're to love one another. You're, you're hearing all these things that, that sound foreign and different, but somehow they sound inviting. This morning, if you would desire that, then Christ holds out salvation to you. And to accept it is simple. To accept it is to admit that we have done life wrong. To ask for his forgiveness and commit to following him for the rest of our lives. If you will do that this morning, he will save and he will change you. This morning, again, don't ignore that. Come, tell someone that you have decided to follow Christ. We want to encourage you. We want to tell you what's next. Maybe this morning you just need to worship. That he is good. That he is good. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for how you love us. We thank you for your graces and your mercies towards us. We thank you that, that when we were your enemies, your response was the cross. Father, I pray that we do not take that for granted. But Father, we would recognize, Lord, the changes that you desire to make in us. That we may look more like you. That others may know your love and your grace and your mercy. That they too may know salvation. That they too may know the assurance of heaven. That they too may worship you. 
Father, I pray, help us to look different. Help us to act like what you've called us to be. Father, I pray, grow us, change us. Father, I pray, help us to respond in this moment to the word that you've given us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.